Please bear with me. My voice seems to be going in and out today, so I'll do my best. Uh, here again, our epistle lesson. As St. Paul writes in Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So far our text. Today is Trinity Sunday. Today is the day we are called to contemplate the very nature of God himself. Who is he? What does he do? Why should I fear him? Why should I love him? Is he good? And what does all of this stuff about God tell me about who I am and what I should do? And as we think about the very nature of God, his person, his work, what he does, we are called to stand in humility before him. We can only know God by what he reveals to us. It's up to God to tell us who he is and what he is like. As we are reminded today by St. Paul, he is greater than we are. Isaiah the prophet says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so as we live in creation, our God stands above it. As we are subjected to our limited and weak human reason and understanding, he alone can defy it with greater and more perfect reason and understanding. And as we might bear under and have to adapt to the power of nature, he subjects all things to himself. He alone creates all things. He alone rules all things. He is God, and we are not. And when we strive to understand who he is, we must take him at his word. We can only know God by what he has revealed to us. And so how are we to describe him? We look to the scriptures, and we see and we learn from the scriptures that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we just confessed in the Creed, and he's not three gods, but one God with three distinct persons standing in perfect unity. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. One God, three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. Three distinct persons. They are distinct from each other. They have peculiar works and roles in the divinity, yet they are not divided. They are of one substance being one God. And this defies all reason. How can something be three in one at the same time? How can one God have three distinct persons? Yet we worship a God who stands above our human reason, and we must take God for who he says he is. We must stand in humility under his word and how he reveals himself, because every heresy 
Every false doctrine that has ever come into the world flowed from sinful human beings deciding that what God has revealed is not enough, that it's not clear enough, that it doesn't make enough sense to me. And so it flows from human beings deciding that he needs to tell God who he is and what he's supposed to do. It's when man is too proud to accept what God says that every form of false teaching comes into God's holy church. And when this happens, people are destroyed, both body and soul. Sheep are led to the mouths of wolves, and they are made subjects to their delusions, and they are destroyed by them. We have examples of this taking place throughout all of history. We even go back to the very beginning. The first sin was nothing other than man being deluded enough into thinking that he could be like God. As Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they did so under the lie that they could be like God. Every sin is rooted in that lie. Our old flesh believes that it's a little God that must be served, that it must be obeyed. I have to be served. I have to be obeyed. It's up to God to fill my needs and to do what I want him to do. And when God himself challenges that assertion in us, our flesh rebels and says, how dare you? How dare you insult me like that? No, God must be mistaken. I guess I'm going to have to tell him why he's wrong. God certainly would not say anything to me that would deny me my personal satisfaction, my personal desires, my own personal understanding. No, God needs to stand corrected. See, we people taking that role for themselves continually. We see this in the Bible, Aaron and the wilderness. He forges the golden calf and he declares to the people of Israel, Hey, this is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We see King Ahab and Queen Jezebel declare that the Lord God of the Bible and Baal, they're the same God and they ought to be worshipped together in the same way. We have Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, declare himself to be the God that everyone should worship and pray to. See, we see all these examples of man thinking that he can stand in the place of God and make the decisions that God makes and have the power that God has. Man is prone to think of himself as his own little God. And we see that as these men, excuse me, fall into their delusions, what happens? Well, Israel has to wander in the wilderness. Ahab and Jezebel meet horrible ends. Nebuchadnezzar is driven insane and out of the city of Babylon. But all the while, now all of this, God stands inviolate. He stands as God unchanged, and he is not to be judged by man. Even today, though, people would deem to tell us and tell God who he is or who he's supposed to be. God says he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet there are people who out there that cannot say, we can't lock God into such stringent little categories right and we know today the 21st century patriarchy that's a bad thing and so god we're not going to call him father we're going to make he into a she call him god the mother and so many liberal churches pray to the mother and then they deny the incarnation of christ and they say that he's not the son of god or they say something really foolish like oh jesus was just non-binary 
And then they decide that the spirit is not a person at all, but just an impersonal force that we feel. And so we can just follow our feelings and our emotions and do whatever makes us happy. And that's what God wants us to do. All of this is lunacy. It's the extreme arrogance of trying to recreate God in our own image, to make him fit our categories, to make him be who we want him to be. When we try to recreate God in the image of man, we are putting ourselves in danger. We as human beings often want God to delight in our perversions. We want God to be who we want him to be, and that's because we're often not interested in who God actually is. We just want permission to do what we want. Even the pious are guilty of that. How many times do we tell ourselves, oh, hey, God just wants me to be happy at all costs. He doesn't mind it when I'm selfish or arrogant or undisciplined or uncaring or apathetic or lazy or lustful or gluttonous or anything else. He's probably having a laugh up there in heaven, enjoying watching me have all the fun I'm having down here. Here again, we're ascribing to God our own human weakness. We can't stop ourselves. We take his words and try to make them fit into what we already presuppose and believe rather than denying ourselves and taking his word for what it is. We subvert the order of creation. We pervert ourselves into taking whatever we want, pervert everything that God says he made to be good. Husbands often neglect their duties to their wives. Wives are not as submissive to their husbands as they're called to be. Men and women abandon natural marriage altogether and live in fornication as a mockery to God. Parents neglect their children by spoiling them and never disciplining them. They don't teach the word of God, and children fail to honor their parents and obey them in all things. People are lazy. We reject our duty. We neglect the fellowship of the church in favor of whatever fun activity we'd rather be doing on Sunday morning. We squander the gifts of God in vain pursuits of pleasure and the neglect of our neighbor's needs. We tell ourselves it all doesn't matter. God just is fine with it all. He just wants me to be happy. And we get angry when anyone insists on anything that God's word actually says that we don't like. It can be anything that we presuppose that is challenged by the Bible. We become like the council of the Jews when St. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 starts preaching the gospel. It says in Acts, this is a this wonderful example of our hardness of hearts. As Stephen is preaching the gospel, he says, When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, plugged their ears, and rushed at him together. Can you imagine that? Grown men plugging their ears and screaming like children because they do not like what they're hearing when God's word is preached. Yet this is the attitude that many human beings have. How often do we grow irritable when the world reveals something we do not like? How often do we want to plug our ears when we are made uncomfortable by the word of God? How often do we get mad at someone for speaking the truth to us in love? That's our fallen nature. Our old flesh cannot tolerate when God makes assertions to us in his word. Yet it doesn't change the truth and what it is. 
And so we must praise God for making his assertions. We must praise him for revealing himself to us. Because it is through this that we know him for who he is. Namely, we know him for his mercy. This is what St. Paul is teaching us this morning. He's teaching us that it is God's desire to have mercy on us. The verse that preceded our epistle lesson this morning says, For God has, not, has consigned all now to disobedience, that he might now have mercy on all. What does this mean? That nothing other than God has revealed his Son to sinners. The ultimate revelation of God is in Christ. It is the Son of God coming into his creation, taking on our flesh, bearing our sins while remaining undefiled by disobedience. He spoke only what the Father spoke to him. He did only what the Father sent him to do. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am in the Father, and one, I and the Father are one. Jesus does the will of his Father who sent him. And the will of his Father is to have mercy on sinners. And this is done when the Son of God is denied mercy for our sake. When Christ, who is not defiled by sin, who did not presume to instruct his Father, who was perfectly humble and submissive to the will of God, was placed upon a cross and rejected by the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is when Jesus dies under the curse of sin that God acts in perfect mercy towards fallen sinners like you and me. This is how God would have us see him and know him. He would not have us know him by his eternal glory or his eternal majesty. He knows that that would destroy us. It would break our minds. It would ruin our bodies because we bear sin. No, he would rather have us see him in true and perfect humility. He would have us behold the broken and bleeding body of his son lifted up on the cross. As we heard today, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So what are we to do as those who behold the Son of God lifted up for us? But we can do nothing more than receive him for who he is and delighten him for what he does. We take him at his word when he shows us his immense love for us. And that is what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in our gospel lesson this morning. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night for fear of the Jews. And Jesus gives him his word. He tells Nicodemus that because of his sin, he must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus is saying that we must be remade. Because we have lost true and perfect knowledge of God, we have fallen from the eternal image of God. We are sinners. 
And in order to be restored to the image of God, to be able to restore to our understanding of God, the sinner must die. And a new creation must stand in his place. And that's what happens when Christians are baptized. The sinner is put to death. The new creation stands before God. We're called to live and walk in newness of life. St. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, and now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. You see, our body of sin is brought to nothing as we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. We are what Jesus refashions us into. He recreates us. He makes new hearts in us. We are born again by the Spirit. We are born into the forgiveness of sins that is worked out for us by the love of God. And as Jesus is lifted up on the cross, there our sins are lifted up. The judgment of our sin is set before us. It's worked out on our behalf, just like the Israelites in the wilderness. You see, the people of Israel, as they were wandering in their 40 years, they grumbled against the Lord. They despised his mercy. And so the Lord showed them that where life apart from his mercy and his love and his grace leads. He sent venomous snakes into the camp. They bit people who were infected with deadly poison. Life apart from the mercy of God is death. It's a poisoned life. But the people, they quickly saw their error and they asked Moses to pray. They repented. See, they were trying to tell God how to be God. They were trying to tell God how to lead them through the wilderness. But then as God humbled them, they repented for their lack of humility and simply trusted in the Lord. And God had mercy on the Israelites and he told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And whenever a person was bit by a serpent, they could look at that bronze serpent on the pole and be cleansed from the curse of their sin. The venom would not harm them. They could see the wages of their sin lifted up before them, and by faith they received healing from their trespasses. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus does. As Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus suffers death and condemnation for us so that as we look to him in faith, we are freed from the curse of our sins. This gift is received by faith. We must take God's word for it. As he says, I forgive you, we must believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father to die for us. And we can only believe in this by the power of the Spirit. We can only receive this when the Spirit of God causes us to be remade 
and born again. And so, my friends in Christ, take God at his word. Believe in what he says about himself. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. This is the name by which you were reborn. When you were washed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you were made into a new creation. God's Holy Spirit has worked this salvation in you and for you. He stands over and above us in every way. He's greater than we are, and his greatness is known and seen most wonderfully in his mercy and his love towards sinners. And so we also must take his word and believe what he says about us. Believe what God claims in his scriptures about you, that we have received mercy in and through him, that the triune God has saved you, that Christ has died for you, that you are forgiven and redeemed by the work of Christ. Receive this word of promise with humility and trust what God has done for you because it is for you that God speaks. It is for you that God reveals himself. We know him for who he says he is and we receive what he offers by faith in his word. His word gives us life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. Amen.